You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise you in the majesty and glory of your name. We pray that you would give us, even in these ordinary moments in this ordinary Sunday, glimpses of your glory, that we might taste the new things that you want to do in our lives through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again, church family. Uh, I know that there's, I just checked, there's a bunch of you online today. We're really grateful that that you're with us. And so uh, glad you're here with us uh, in this um, way that we can connect virtually. And I I think there's some of you down in the fellowship hall as well. So really grateful that we can be together um, on this first Sunday of Epiphany, just to bring up this little um, liturgical calendar that we use around here at 3rd. Um, we started the, the new year in Advent, and then we finished the 12 days of Christmas, and we entered on Thursday into Epiphany, which is the season of the church year where we really study uh, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the works, the acts of Jesus. It's really where we begin to see Jesus revealing God to humanity and the way that he lives and ministers in the world. We're actually going to start a new sermon series next week on the book of Mark. Um, so we're going to try to march through uh, the book of Mark from um, now until Easter. And we're really going to try to take a, a real good look at Jesus and who he is, the way he lived, what he did for us, and how he continues to confront us today with his powerful, beautiful life. Uh, and so I'm really grateful that we can celebrate Epiphany today with some bonfires outside. It was actually an ancient tradition in Epiphany to take down the evergreens of Christmas and burn them um, in the deep fires and the deep cold of January. So we're going to do that today and throw in some marshmallows too. So that'll be fun. Um, it's been a tradition in January when we start a new year together just to remember who we are as a church and to remember our mission as a church. This is our, our mission that we um, recall every year, that we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. We're called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. At the very center of that phrase um, is the word new. Renewal, newness. This is at the heart of the Christian message. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas, that into the broken down world of sin, God entered in, did a new thing through the person of Jesus, that he resurrected from the dead and he is reigning and he is saying, behold, I am making all things New. That's at the heart of the Christian message. God is in the business of making new things. Our mission statement reflects that newness in almost like three concentric circles. Imagine, imagine a stone. Kids, just have you ever done this before? Thrown a stone into a pond or a lake, and you see the ripples making rings emanating out from that stone. Imagine that stone as the person of Jesus Christ that God has dropped into the world. And now rings of newness emanate forth from the person of Jesus. We see that in our statement first by the new life, the new life that Jesus is bringing to each and every man and woman, boy and girl who encounters Jesus. God promises to meet you and make you new through his resurrection power. We each have new life in him. Then the the next ring is that the new community 
that Jesus is building through his grace. God is calling men and women, boys and girls, saved by his grace to create a new kind of community in the world. And then ultimately, we see that Jesus is making a new world, that he is making all things new, that a day is coming when he will restore creation. And he is inviting us, crazy as it is, to be a part of that restoring work. So this is amazing that we get to be a part of this. New life, new community, new world. And so we're going to just going to talk about those three things real briefly today. And I'm going to do that by looking at uh, uh, one of my favorite passages. Actually, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ephesians, which is all about newness. And so we're going to read a little section of the book of Ephesians today from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through chapter 5, verse 2. And it touches, I think, on each of these these concentric rings. So let's hear God's word. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to pull them out. There's one in the pew if you want to look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and malice, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then chapter five, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So let's just jump right in. Let's start with that first little circle of new life, new life. You know, at the start of every new year, um, it was the same this year as, as any others. You begin to hear lots of advice about how to change and how to make resolutions, and how to be the new person that you've always wanted to be. Um, If you do a quick search in Amazon, in the self-help section, you will find literally thousands of books and resources about how to be the new you. Uh, How to overcome bad habits, find the right job, find the right person, make the right amount of money, um, be the man and the woman that that you want to be, be a better parent, whatever. But nearly every one of these things focuses on uh, mechanics, right? Ten steps to this, five steps to that. How to have better habits, how to try harder, think better, speak more skillfully, organize or work more productively, etc. The assumption is, in most of these resources, that you have already what you need to be a better person, to be the person that you want to be, and all it takes is a little discipline and some hard work, maybe a new attitude, and you can do it. And that's really the American way, right? You can do anything, We've all been told that since we were little kids. You can do anything and you can be anything and you have what it takes to become the person that you want to be. Now, 
Um, I actually have some appreciation for these books. I'm sort of a productivity nerd myself, and I love to read all these books about productivity hacks, so I'm not trying to throw shade too much on that stuff. I just want to acknowledge and us point out that the Bible has a really different view on the capacity of human beings to make lasting and permanent change. Um, unlike the American view, the Apostle Paul has a pretty negative view of the capacity of men and women, boys and girls, to make substantive, transformative change for good. He says in chapter two of Ephesians that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And I don't know if you spend time around many dead people, but there's not many things that dead people can do to get, you know, a better life. Uh, um, uh, in chapter 418, Paul says that we are darkened in our understanding, hard of hearts, resistant to God. So basically what Paul's view is, and this is a pretty negative view, okay? This is not gonna go into any like inspirational frame on your bedroom wall. Um, unless this spiritual deadness, internal hardness, and good news is, is that there is tremendous hope to be a completely transformed person, but that hope is not inside of you. It comes from outside of you through what God has done for you and what now God does through his spirit in you. Are you following me, friends? You following me? Something has happened, Paul says. An event has occurred. God has saved and rescued and redeemed through the person of Jesus. He says in chapter two, verse five, God made us alive with Christ. It's in the past tense. God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. He says in verse eight, it is by grace you have been saved through faith is the gift of God. Paul says, God has done it. He's rescued you. He's redeemed you. You've died with Christ and risen with him. And so now you are united with him. And now that you have new life in Christ, you have the power that you need to begin living a new life. This is a dramatic contrast from the message that we normally hear, which is, you can go to the next slide, new behaviors lead to new life, right? This is the way of religion, morality, self-help. If you start behaving differently, work real hard, change your attitudes, get your 10-step plan, then you can have a new life. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is the exact reverse. It is that God has given you new life simply by grace. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to deserve it. You didn't have to earn it. You just, he just gave it to you by grace. You were died and risen with Christ. You're a new person united with Jesus. And so now that you have the power of Jesus in you, get busy living a new life. Get busy with some new behaviors because you are new. The capacity to be different comes after you've been given new life. So religion says, morality says, self-help says, be different and you can live a changed life. The gospel says you have a changed life, so be different. In order to do something new, you have to be something new. And this is what the gospel offers. I'm just gonna brag a little bit about what is probably the coolest thing I did last year in 2021. So I ha I've only ever been to one professional basketball game in my life. <laughs> and it was December this past year, I went with some buddies. 
And I, and I happened to be at this game. It was at Madison Square Gardens in New York City. And the New York Knicks were playing um, the Golden State Warriors. And it happened to be the game that this really good basketball player named Steph Curry broke the NBA all-time record for three-pointers. It was amazing. <laughs> and I got to be there. And there were all these like, famous people there. And I was, you know, I was not one of them. Um, but it was pretty awesome. Now, I started thinking, what if I wanted to be as good as shooting three-pointers as Steph Curry? What would I do? Uh, well, I would study everything he does. I would practice like him. I would eat like him. I would live like him. I would do everything that Steph Curry does, practice relentlessly. Let's say that I did this. Kids, I want to, I'm going to ask you a question in just a second. Let's say I did this. I, I, did all, I, was, I just did everything exactly like Steph Curry for the next five years of my life. I quit my job, and this is the only thing I did. Raise your hand if you think in five years I would play just like Steph Curry. Not a single one of you. That is so terrible. Why? Why would I not play like Steph Curry? Well, look at me. I'm a, I'm a white guy with a three-inch vertical jump, right? Um, it's just not, it's not in my DNA. It's not in my genes. It's, it, I don't have the capacity for it. Who do you think has the best chance of playing like Steph Curry? His kids. Yeah. <laughs> Steph Curry and his kids. Uh, why? Because his, his kids, his two daughters and his son, they actually have the literal DNA of Steph Curry within them. You know, they'll still have to practice. They'll still have to hone their skills. But they have something that I nor any of you have that is the power of Steph Curry's own life within them. So y'all, I think we all would say that we want to be more like Jesus in 2022. You know, do you want to be more loving? Do you want to be more kind? Do you want to be more forgiving? Do you want to be less impatient? Uh, you could study Jesus, you could observe Jesus, you could try real hard to be like him. You might make some incremental improvements, but they won't be lasting or permanent. What you need is power. You need his DNA. You need his very life in you. And this is what we are given in the gospel. Through faith in the person of Jesus, we are given power, unity with the person of Jesus. Christianity is not about behavioral change. It's not about trying harder. It's not about niceness. It's about newness. It's about God doing something entirely new in you, that his power is now at work in you. Jesus is not a self-help guru. He is not offering you a 10-step plan, how to be good. He is offering you his very life in you, filling you with the power of his spirit. He's not offering you more information. He's giving you transformation, his very self saving relationship with him. Have you received that? Is that what your Christianity looks like? Transforming power? A life united with Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian. Every day to wake up, remind yourself who I am in Christ, dying to my old self, rising to the new by faith in him. That's the new self that God wants to give us in Christ. That's the first ring, okay? Now, this new self, let's go to the next slide because we're going to talk next about new community. Uh, this new self, you already are in Christ. There's a great story about um, St. Augustine. St. Augustine, before he became a Christian, lived a very, very sexually promiscuous life. Um, and one day, 
uh, he was walking along and one of his old lovers uh, saw him in the street and she called out, Augustine, it's me. And Augustine cried out back to her, yes, but it is not me. Um, and, and what he's saying is, I'm not the same person that I was. Um, I've been changed. I'm a new person in Christ. And therefore now he is practicing every day, putting off and putting on, living out this new identity that is now his in Jesus. And this is our task as followers of Jesus. In verses 25 through 32, if you look with me at your text, Paul gets very practical about how to do this, putting off and putting on. And what's fascinating about it is that all of his examples of these new behaviors have to do with relationships. They have to do with the Christian community, promoting love and unity in the body. This is another huge theme in the book of Ephesians. In chapter two, Paul talks about how through Christ, God has torn down the dividing wall that divided the peoples of the earth, the Jews and Gentiles, and everything that separates humanity through our hatreds and bigotries and divisions. Jesus Christ has torn it down to create a new kind of humanity that is grounded not in common ethnicity or race, not in common politics or worldview, but is a new community that's grounded in the grace of Jesus alone. So as people are changed, as individual people are changed by Christ and begin living out their new identity, it begins to make a new kind of community that is based on Jesus and his grace. The Christian community is the laboratory, if you will, where we begin to live out our new identities in Christ, where we learn how to live out the, the new power that we have in him. It's easy, isn't it, to think of yourself as a kind and loving person when you're sitting in a room by yourself. I am such a great person. <laughs> it becomes much more challenging when you are in relationship. I've actually heard men say to me, look what she's done to me. I wasn't an angry person until we got married. Yeah, right, dude. <laughs> I just laugh. That's so funny. I used to say that too. Uh, of course, she didn't cause you to be angry. You were angry all along. It's just that the relationship exposed it. The conditions of the relationship exposed what was always there. And this is what relationships do. Our relationship with each other are laboratories for our personal character because they expose our sin and reveal to us the kind of transformational change process that God wants to produce in us. Our community is a laboratory for the newness that God is creating. Does that make sense? So look at verses 25 through 32. For each one of them, there is a negative put off command, but also a positive put on. It's like, imagine yourself, you've been outside mowing the lawn and you're all covered in dirt and you go inside and you've got to go to a fancy dinner. You put off your old stinky clothes and you put on the new clothes that now reflects your new identity and your new calling in Christ, okay? So just, I'm just gonna blaze through these real quick. First of all, he says, put off falsehood put on truth, verse 25. Falsehood includes lying, of course, but any ways that we could distort the truth or exaggerate, alter a story to make ourselves look better or make other people worse, look worse. Ever done that? You know, it's really crazy because among our politicians and public leaders now, lying and obscuring the truth to advance a particular agenda is just like common accepted practice among everyone. And Paul says that when we do this, we are actually fragmenting the body of Christ. He says, he says we should be truthful, quote, because we are members of one another. So when you lie or fudge the truth to a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you are actually, imagine yourself cutting off a finger off the body. This is what we're doing. Practice honesty and faithfulness. Be true to one another because that brings unity and health to the body. Verse 26, put off anger. 
put on peace. If you know this, Paul doesn't actually forbid anger. Rather, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is actually a, 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 an attribute of God. God is holy, has holy anger, because holy anger is fueled by love and is hate, hateful towards all that prevents someone from flourishing, right? The problem is most human anger is not holy anger. I think I've had holy anger like twice in my whole life. <laughs> most, most anger is driven by ego, pride, right? Most of the anger that we've seen in our public life the last two years has not been driven by love, but has been fueled by selfishness and pride. When the, the thing that, the way I want my life to be has been obstructed, right? Paul says when we give into this kind of selfish anger, we actually give the devil a door to enter into our souls. Our own unholy anger divides and separates communities, which the devil loves because he's the splitter, right? So put it off, Paul says, put on peace instead. Any harm in your relationship, repair them quickly, even before you go to bed, before the sun goes down. Um, okay, verse 26. Next one is, he says, put off stealing, put on honest work. Now, you might say, oh, I got a pass on this one because I, I stole a piece of bubble gum when I was five, but nothing since then. Wait, wait, wait. Look what Paul says. He says, look at the context. He says, we should all share. We should all work so that we can what? Share with the needy. So the purpose of our work when you become a Christian is changed. So now your work is no longer for your own personal comfort and gain and security. Now your work is so that you can make money to give to people who need it. That's pretty radical change, isn't it? So stealing is not just cooking your books uh, and avoiding taxes. Stealing now is also holding back being generous and not paying the people who work for you fairly or amassing stuff for yourself instead of pouring it out for others. You know, we've seen a lot of people the last couple of years, when things get scary in the culture, what do people do? They turn inward upon themselves and they start to do self-protection. And Paul says, shockingly, that's a form of robbery. Whoa, right? In keeping with your new identity in Christ, Paul says, put on work so that you can flow out in generosity towards others. Next one, he says, put off corrupt talk put on speech that builds up. You know, we often use careless or hurtful words in ways that disguise uh, the corruption, the rottenness. Rotten is actually the word he uses, the rottenness beneath. We share gossip in the form of a prayer request, right? We say something mean, but then couch it by saying, oh, she, bless her heart, she's such a mess, right? Um, you just can't resist the snide remark to your spouse that you know will get them where it stings. In the last couple of years, there have been so many opportunities to say mean or derogatory things about people that you disagree with, whether it's about politics or masking um, or racial justice or uh, some political party that you hate or whatever. Paul, all of this, Paul says, is rotten, rotten to the core, harms the body. Our speech, like God's speech, is meant to create new things, build up, right? Uh, uh, that it may benefit those who hear, Paul says. Our speech, as James reminds us, has the power of death or the power of life. As those who are made new in Christ, we're called to put on speech that brings life to others instead of death. The last thing he says is this, put off bitterness and malice and put on kindness, love, and forgiveness. Man, nursing a grudge feels so good. I love it. Don't you? It just feels so great to nurse anger, and to feel a sense of power over the other person as you resent them in your heart 
righteously looking down on them as you refuse to forgive them. Oh, come on, people. You know you do that too. But here Paul is absolutely clear. He says, when you do that, you are literally spitting in the face of God and denying the grace of the gospel. You are, you, 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 God has shown you constant, irrepressible kindness and love despite your continuous rebellion against him. And for you to not express that same grace now towards others is totally out of keeping with who you now are in Christ, the beloved of God. So put on love, put on forgiveness, because that's who you are. So, so there you have it. Paul says, here, look at this amazing list. He says, by every day, now that you're new, you start to just put off and put on, put off and put on. You put into practice this new identity that is yours in Christ. And when we do that, we start building this new community, right? The very best way that we can experience community as God intended it to be is for you to address the sin and selfishness in your own life, to do this work of putting off and putting on within your own within your own soul. We're going to read this book for, I'm so excited that we get to read life together, together. Um, and I'm going to be teaching the first two weeks. It's, it's just one of my most favorite books on community. And Bonhoeffer says that real community can only happen if you take seriously the idea that the greatest problem with the community is you. <laughs> Which kind of stings, doesn't it? Can, have you ever thought about that? You know, we all gripe about our families or about our church or whatever. Have you ever thought that the greatest problem in the community is you? Each of us have an egocentrism and selfishness that eats away within us. And Bonhoeffer says the best contribution we can make to the community is by going to battle with the sin within us, taking on the new self that is ours in Christ. This is the greatest gift that we can offer is a commitment to put to death our old selves and to practice daily the new selves that we've been made in Christ. And so we want to invite you into that in the coming months to do this hard and good work together. It's been a hard couple years for community. It really has, hasn't it? And so we want to invite you to, we're, our, our, our community muscles are sort of atrophied a little bit. Like we've forgotten how to do this stuff. And so we want to invite you to get into practice again. So we're going to start trying to do some of that. That's why we're spending seven weeks studying community and what it means to live in radical Christ-centered relationships. So I hope you come to the, to the Feb term. Um, this is why like, we, really ha we have lots of groups available so that it's easy to think of yourself as a great Christian when, like I said, living by yourself, but when you start to have to rub shoulders with people, you see, you, you, you see <laughs> a lot of stuff yuck, that's yucky in you. And that's a good thing. So get into a group, get into a parish group. Uh, we're also gonna try to do more events like we're doing today where we just remind ourselves that our life is lived in the context of one another. So new life, um, new community, and there's one last thing that Paul says, and this is a very short point, don't worry, uh, is new world. Our mission statement says, call together for the renewal of all things. God is on a mission to renew everything, right? He's not just saving souls. We love to say around here at third that God is making a whole new creation. He is not just saving souls. He is mending bodies. Uh, he is restoring communities. He is renewing the world in every way that it needs to be renewed. He is bringing about a day where there will be no more poverty, no more hunger, no more strife, no more murder, no more racism, that every tear will be dried and every body will be restored. I mean, that's amazing, right? The renewal of all things, that we exist as a church. I just never want us to forget this third church family. Why does third church exist? Do we exist for the good of our own members? No, we do not. We exist for the good of the world that is in need of Jesus and the need of hope. That is why we exist. 
And when we get all wrapped up in our own little battles within our own church body, we are actually denying the great mission that God has given us to exist for the sake of our neighbors, to exist for the sake of the world. We're called together for the renewal of all things. But that's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? How am I, with my little life, supposed to be a part of the renewal of all things? It's so overwhelming. Look at how the world is so broken. It's so messed up. And I can barely get my kids breakfast in the morning, right? How am I supposed to be a part of fixing the world, right? Well, look, John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, recently said in a podcast I listened to, the only way not to be overwhelmed by the needs of the world is to ask God what he wants you to do about the world. The only way to not get overwhelmed is to ask God what he wants you to do about the world. He's not asking you to fix the whole world. Only he can do that. He's not asking you to bring about a a renewed creation. Only God can and will do that. Like a small child sowing seeds into a big old field that his daddy is farming, God is calling us to participate in whatever small way in this great work that he is doing. That's why we're welcoming one Afghan family into our community. We're not saving the whole refugee crisis. but we are welcoming and adopting one Afghan refugee family into our community. That's why we have our own Wednesday tutoring program here on Wednesday night. We're not saving, we're not, we're not, we're not solving the, 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 the immigrant and refugee problem in Richmond, but God's called us to do this one thing, right? That's why we encourage our parish groups to be the hands and feet of Christ in their own neighborhoods and parishes. They're not fixing Richmond, but they're, they're sowing the love and mercy of Jesus to their neighbors, right? And here's the really good news. One of the best ways that we can be a part of this new world project that God is doing is simply being this new community of love that he's called us to be. It says in chapter five, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see what he's saying? As we live out this new life in Christ, as we practice this work of loving one another, putting off, putting on these new behaviors, we actually begin to imitate God and therefore resemble him through our works of love towards one another. We actually begin to show the world the mercy, the kindness, the forgiveness, and the love of God. We display the gospel to the world. And in this time of immense division, hatred, and suspicion, one of the greatest gifts that we can ever offer is to simply mirror and display the hope and the goodness of the gospel to a world in turmoil. So friends, God has called us together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. It's a huge mission, and yet it is very simple and can be very small. Get to work, brother. Get to work, sister. Being the new person that you already are in Jesus. Get to work putting off and putting on. Get to work doing the work of love in community. And these are the small things that are a part of God's big mission. There's an old story about a person who encounters two stonemasons each hewing a massive stone. He asks the first man what he is doing, and the man replies, I'm cutting a stone. He asks the second man what he is doing, and the man replies, I am building a cathedral. Sometimes your daily work of putting to death your sin, putting on your new identity in Christ, repenting in your family, in your community, extending and receiving forgiveness, asking for mercy, putting off anger, putting on peace. These, all this work feels so small, so ordinary, like cutting stone. And yet through these small works of God, through these small works of love, our mighty God is building a cathedral. He is taking our tiny little works of faith and love 
and he is incorporating them into his world-changing mission of newness to renew all things. So let's pray. And I just would invite you to just think about one thing that in your life, personal life, that you really know that God wants to see changed. And then just think about one thing in your relationships that you long to see changed. I just want you to offer that to God right now. Thank you, Lord, for this work of newness that you have done and are doing in us. We offer you our lives. We offer you our relationships. Would you work in us to do these small acts of love, putting off, putting on, loving one another, that we might be a part of your big mission to renew all things. In Christ's name.